and how the country that produced ABBA can claim not to be as outgoing as the rest of the world. Sweden, as Emily has already said to us, is a country that values independence, standing on your own two feet, making up your own mind, being in control of your own life. Maybe that's why Sweden is a country that at the moment is so hostile to the good news of the Lord Jesus. Why so many, probably the highest percentage in Europe of people, are willing to identify as being atheist or not believers in any religion. Because the Bible says completely the opposite. The Bible says we were created for relationship. A relationship with God where we are loved by a heavenly father through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that relationship is made real in our hearts by the work of his spirit. And the extraordinary message of John's gospel is not that we must go out and seek God in relationship, a bit like seeking a co-living space in Stockholm. No, the amazing message of John's gospel is that he is seeking us. And we see that in John 4. It starts with this seeming chance encounter between two people looking for a drink in the middle of the day. But right from the start, Jesus Christ is reaching out to this woman. Verse 4, if you've got it, please keep it open in front of you. Now he had to go through Samaria. No, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, a pious Jew would take a detour around the edge to avoid the hated Samaritans. Uh, They used to be part of God's people, the Jews but they'd become racially compromised and spiritually confused. Uh, They shared the same forefather, Jacob, but you can see what Jews thought of Samaritans by the way the woman replies to Jesus when he asks her for a drink. Look at verse 9. Look at what she says. You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She could have also said, you're a man, a teacher, and and I'm a woman. What are you doing speaking to me in public? See, everything of the culture of the day meant that Jesus shouldn't speak to this woman. But Jesus is interested in you, whoever you are. Even if you're the sort of woman who sneaks out in the middle of the day in the sun, hoping not to meet anyone, hoping that you won't bump into any other villages as you get water because you're ashamed of who you are and you're ashamed of what you've done, and you're shunned by your neighbors and your family. Now, Jesus isn't bothered. He seems to deliberately seek out people like that. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and whom it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. Water, what's he talking about? There's, there's no stream here, there's just this well. And what's the gift of God? You can't blame her for being a little bit confused. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? I suspect there might have been a bit of a a playful attitude in her voice, a a wry smile on her face. She's, She's no idiot. This Jewish teacher with his enigmatic living water is up to something. She she knows what men are like. Living water, living water. I thought you were asking me for a drink. I mean, you haven't even got a bucket, mate. How are you going to do it? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sounds fantastic. But, But what does he mean? Never being thirsty again? Eternal life? 
He's clearly not talking about a new line in Evian. This isn't physical water. Could he be talking about fulfillment in life? Never thirsting? Isn't he saying, I can give you satisfaction in life? You won't constantly be craving more if you, if you genuinely look to me. And this is the gift of God. This isn't a self-help manual or a course in life improvement or a, a pat on the back and try harder, please. But this is a gift from God of a fulfilling life. And it ends up in eternal life. I mean, whatever you believe this morning, you've got to admit this is, this is big. This is perhaps too big for this woman to understand. Not only a life that goes on forever, but a life that has a, a God quality about it. A life lived in relationship with God that, that starts now and stretches on through death into eternity. It's just to say, let me ask you. Do you think you have this God quality to your life? Did you feel you have this God quality to your life? To, to know the, the certain and constant love of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. To, to have His Spirit indwelling you, confirming His presence with you, whatever you do and wherever you go. The, uh, the Rolling Stones sang, didn't they, famously, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. And I guess it's, it's the song that, that sums up the heartbeat of most people in life, trying to quench the thirst, the, the thirst to be satisfied, the thirst to be content to feel that life works. I mean, surely you're like me, you do that and you, you wake up and you, you think, how can I plan this day so it will feel nice, so it will work satisfyingly? I try and I try and I try and I try and it's Monday morning again. It's the, it's, it's the thirst the advertising industry is built on. It's the thirst that sends you out to work and then sends you home again and then sends you on the next holiday and then back to work for pay for it and then sends you back to redo your house again and sends you out to work again. I try and I try and I try and I try and I can't get no... Jesus takes this woman to something deeper than the next little shop, the next trip to the sun. He actually takes her to her deep spiritual need no wonder the woman replies in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Oh, I think she sees that Jesus is talking about something more than running water. Please take the drudgery of my life away. The daily grind, please, would it be over? Now here's the problem for most of us. Most of us either won't admit that our life isn't working or we think that the only solution is I try and I try and I try and I try and it feels such a slog. We can, we can insist that, that everything's going okay or we can pretend, no, I really can sort it out. We can do that as Christians. We're not willing to confess the depth of our need. And I think if the truth be known, a lot of us live closer to despair than we're willing to admit. Far closer to despair. I long not to be tired. Long not to have mornings when I get out of bed in the morning and look down at the sheets and go, how long till I can get back into you again? <laughs> so stressed. 
We constantly crave something better. And Jesus wants us to come to him with that burden. Not to go to the latest DIY shop or, or the latest place in the sunshine. He wants us to come to him with that burden and admit our need and let down the mask. See, it's not fetching water that's the heart of this woman's problems. Jesus never gives us what we ask when there's something, something better for us. Love always acts like that, doesn't it? So Jesus takes this woman at her word. He wants to end the emptiness in her life. So he asks her a question. It comes completely out of the blue. Do you see the question in verse 18? He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. You can't help but feel for her, can you? She's been trying to quench the thirst of her life in, in a string of men. I expect that our, our liberated 21st cult century culture would say, so what? <laughs> They'd certainly say that in Sweden. Do you know the average age for the first marriage in Sweden is 36 for a man and 33 for a woman? That's not because they're remaining chaste until their late 30s. And I say first marriage because Sweden has the highest divorce rate in the UK. I try and I try and I try and I try and I can't get no satisfaction. That's sexual freedom. But I'm pretty sure she didn't see it like that. With each failed relationship, I guess there was more pain. With each new man, maybe a bit of new hope. Some would call her naive. Others would say she was desperate. But I think the main thing she is is broken. Broken-hearted. And Jesus knows. He cares enough not to, to let this woman's problems go unsolved. It's exactly the same with us. We might be able to de deceive our friends about how sorted and secure we are. Sometimes we can even deceive ourselves, but we can never deceive Jesus Christ. And he will put the finger on our hearts. Maybe he's doing that for you at the moment. And you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying. And you can't sort it out. I wonder what Jesus would have had to ask to open you up like this, to open you up in the way he opened up this woman. I mean, perhaps you're where she's at. You, you might not have such a past of failed relationships, but you've been, been drinking at the wells of this world, and you've, you've tried to satisfy yourself, and you're just still thirsty. Uh, the broadcaster David Attenborough, a national treasure, Said, uh, said recently in his 90s, he dreads not being able to work. Why is he still on the telly screen? Because that's what gives him satisfaction. He fears losing that. Well, whatever it is in your life, Jesus says, don't run for cover. I know you. I know you better than you know yourself. Let, let me give you the gift of God. Let me give you eternal life. Stop looking for fulfillment where there is none. It's very personal, isn't it? That's the way Jesus is. He wants us to see our failure and admit it. What happens next is, is fascinating. It's so typical. I'm pretty sure this woman must have been British. She can see that this, this liberal, traveling Jewish preacher is a little bit more than that. <laughs> the problem is, this is a man who knows the secrets of her heart. And frankly, we do not like talking about the secrets of our hearts. And, and so she changes the subject. Verse 19. 
I can see you're from God. So here's a religious question for you. You like those? Should I be worshipping like a Samaritan here in Samaria? Or should I become a Jew and worship like you Jews say back in Jerusalem? Oddly, it's actually the question she really needs answering. It's not about water, but it's about worship. I'm not sure she realized this, but worship is her biggest problem. She's worshipping relationships. She's put them at the center of her life. She's put them in the place that only God should be in. And that's not just wrong, it's, a, it's dangerous, it's offensive to God. She's made something other than the God who gives her life her God. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Look at your Old Testament, says Jesus. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Jesus effectively says to her, look, it's not about where you worship God, it's about whether you worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. The Father. That's who Jesus is inviting this woman, inviting you to know. The Father who chapter 3 told us so loves the world that he gave his one and only Son for it. The world that rejected him. It's him that you worship. And you do that by his Spirit, we saw in chapter 3, poured into your heart. So it's a, a genuine heartfelt worship given you by God putting his glory, his honor at the center of your life. And Jesus, he describes himself as the truth. You can only have that relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying to this woman, having a relationship with God is not about going to the right place and doing the right thing. It's about going to the right person. It's about coming to me. Or this woman, she's done her GCSE religious studies. Do you see that in verse 25? The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Oh, the rescuing king, the Messiah's on the way. He's the one who's going to sort this out. I'll just wait till he turns up. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Don't delay, says Jesus. I'm the one. He actually hints at more than that because he literally says, I am the one speaking to you. In the Old Testament, in the first half of the Bible, when a guy called Moses asked the Lord what his name was, he said, I am who I am. Jesus isn't just saying that he is God's king. He is saying he is the Lord God on earth. I'm here. The Lord of life is offering you true life. The creator is giving you the key to living in his creation. God is offering himself to this woman. Just then, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? They're so typical, the disciples, aren't they? They think it, probably say it to each other, but don't address the issue. But, but there's something precious in that verse, verse 27. Literally, but no one asked, what are you seeking? Why are you talking to her? Jesus is seeking this woman. He's sought her out so she can encounter the love of God and his son. And it turns her whole world upside down. Because when you meet 
God's love like this in Jesus. Do you, do you see what you do in verse 30? You seek out others to tell them. Verse, verse 28 and 29 rather. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? I love that detail. She leaves the water jar. Oh, the slog of life is over. Well, she's going to need the water jar again, but, but she's got a new priority. People need to hear about th this extraordinary man, Jesus. And look what happens when she makes her simple testimony in verse 30. They came out of the town and made their way towards him. But, but, but back at the well, Jesus' disciples, they're seriously missing the point. That the conversation's gone from water to sandwiches. Verse 31, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could, could someone have bought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. What, what, what I'm about, says Jesus Christ, is, is not your physical eating. It's about carrying out God's plan. And that plan, do you see it there in verse 35 and 36, is a harvest. A harvest of not grain, but people. A people who want to be given eternal life. That's what I'm about, says Jesus, to tell people now is the time that God in his love is bringing people back into relationship with himself. Now's the time to rejoice in that. Did you see what he says to them in verse 35? Open your eyes, says Jesus, and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. How should the disciples have known that? Well, if they just turned around for a moment and looked back to the village... The bunch of Samaritans are walking up the hill to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Here they come. What's the result? Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So simple, isn't it? Did you see what convinces them that this man who was just sitting by their well is the savior of the world? A woman has a, a life-changing encounter with him and she goes and tells them, asks them to consider it for themselves and then from the testimony of her words they come and listen to the testimony of Jesus' words and the result is they say, we know this man is really the savior of the world. Here is our Savior. Here is everyone's Savior, Jesus Christ. Here, here are three things for us to take away. Three things from this passage. We have a God who seeks us in His Son. You need to remember that. If you're a Christian here today, however you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever the process was or the moment was or your family background is, God was seeking you. And he continues to seek people, whoever they are. It runs through this passage. Jesus had to, because it was God's plan, go through Samaria to meet this woman. The Father is seeking worshippers. Jesus, what was he seeking? This woman, and he is seeking people today. And it may well be that you are here today as someone who's not yet a Christian because God is seeking you. We have a God who seeks us in his Son. Here's the second thing. We have a God who satisfies our deepest need in His Son. 
This woman didn't know she needed Jesus. She went up the hill because she needed water. Most people don't know they need Jesus, but they do, and she did. Because without him, our lives are not just useless. They're not just pointless. They're not just hopeless. They're not just condemned to, I try and I try and I try and I try. Well, verse 36 of chapter 3 at the end there says, their lives which God's wrath, his righteous anger remains on. Their lives where in the end we face God's punishment for not worshipping him, but worshipping created things. And Jesus comes to change all that. He comes to take us from those facing eternal death and make us those who face eternal life. He comes to meet our deepest need, the deepest need of every human being. Because here's the third thing to see. We have a son, God who uses us to save people through his son. So what do the people of Sweden need more than anything else? What do the people of Chessington need more than anything else? What do your friends and family who don't know Jesus Christ need more than anything else? Not lunch. Not a material harvest. Not financial security. They need the Savior of the world. And how does God do that? He sends outcast women to speak to villages about the person they've just met. And as they open up his word, the words of Jesus recorded for us in the Bible, his spirit works and brings people to this gift of eternal life. We see the Father getting the worship as he seeks. That's why as Ben and Emily go to Sweden, we have total confidence, not because they're great and we love them, but because God's word, the, the good news of Jesus is powerful and it saves people. That's why we want to support them. Because the greatest need of the people of Sweden, whether they realize it or not, is the savior of the world. It's why we, we have a men's curry night on Saturday. It's why we have Christianity Explored. It's why we're always banging on here. And you, if you're someone who's here regularly, might think, will they stop banging on about it? No, we will never stop banging on about it. We're always banging on about bringing people to meet Jesus. Because he is the savior of the world. And without him, people are unsaved. It's the most precious gift anyone could offer you. Because actually it's the most costly gift. You see, eternal life costs Jesus his death. But that's where John's gospel is heading. Do, do you remember that? The hour, Jesus' hour in John's gospel is going to be the the time that he dies on the cross. Jesus' glory in John's gospel is going to be revealed in bloody beauty as he is nailed to a cross for us. As his death deals with the fact that like this woman, we've put anything and everything in Jesus' rightful place. We've worshipped anything and everything other than the God who made us and loves us. You see, the living water that Jesus offers comes at the price of the shedding of his blood. For us to enjoy life with God means that God himself in the person of his son experiences horrible, brutal, and spiritual death for us. He takes upon himself the punishment that we deserve for the ways we've worshipped anything other than him. We have a God who seeks us in his son. If you know him today, it's because he sought you. In love, he has sought you out. 
We have a God who satisfies our deepest need in his son. If you're struggling today, even as a believer in Jesus, will you look to him and stop living by the mantra of I try and I try and I try and I try? We have a God who uses people like us to save people through his son. Will you, will you today be someone who takes that message to others? You could try the woman, woman's line, couldn't you? Come, come, come and see whether this Jesus person who, I, who I've just met, whether, whether he might be someone who could be from God. And will you be one of maybe the hundred plus people who, when we fill in those pledge cards, writes 25 pounds a month, just over six quid a week? So that between us this morning, we raised 39,000 pounds to send Ben and Emily. Six quid a week, 25 pounds a month, so people hear of the Savior of the world. Will you be one of those people today? We're going to come to the Lord's table in a moment, and we're going to remember what it cost Jesus to give us eternal life. And we're going to remember God's great love for us in him. Before that, we're going to have just a moment's quiet for people to take out those cards and to have a think to have a pray quiet to yourselves, there'll be a pen somewhere around you, just to consider that. And during our next hymn, When I Survey, uh, those cards are going to be collected in. Uh, we're going to have... ...stand the rows. Uh, we'll ask you during the hymn just to fold the card in half, so it's just between you and the Lord, not you and your neighbor. So just a couple of minutes quiet, and then we're going to sing, and those cards are going to be collected in.